Well, good morning, everyone. And I know we're still finding our seats. Uh, good morning to everyone who's in overflow. I think we're pretty packed up back there as well. And if you're listening online, uh, good morning to you uh, as well. Uh, as is probably obvious at this point, Pastor Sykes and Rena are out of town today visiting uh, one of their daughters and, and her family. Uh, but we'll be in good hands with uh, Jonathan Bishop, our missionary to the Middle East, uh, opening the word for us uh, later in, in the hour. Uh, let me touch just briefly on schedule for the day. Uh, many of you know we have lunch together after the service. And I saw in uh, the invite that it's an old-fashioned Southern Sunday dinner. And I just have to tell you that as a, <laughs> as a stale New England Yankee, I don't think I'm even worthy to say that. <laughs> One of you old-fashioned Southerners needs to jump up and tell us, you know, what this really is all about. Uh, but we're all in. I mean, Rachel tried her hand at, at collard greens uh, this morning, so we went all in on this one. And uh, give, those, give those a try. So after lunch, around 1.30, we'll meet back up here as usual for about 30 minutes. And Chuck Baumgartner will uh, open the word for us uh, for, for the second, second service. There's no ambassador training today. And I was asked to remind you that on Wednesday, May 10th, that would be not this coming Wednesday, but the next, right? Uh, there'll be a business meeting. And that will be to discuss the demolition of the old uh, building uh, next door. So you don't want to miss that. That should be a fun discussion. How could it not be? You know, <laughs> demolition is always fun. <laughs> and that old thing really needs to go. You know, when we first moved in here, we were hoping maybe we could save that old structure uh, and do something interesting with it. But the engineers determined it just has to go. Uh, it really can't be salvaged. So there will be a business meeting about that on, on May 10th. Uh, if you're visiting with us today, uh, welcome. If you weren't caught when you walked in the door and asked to fill out a visitor card. We invite you to, to do that at the, at the Welcome Center uh, after the service. And uh, everyone is welcome to stay for lunch, so please, uh, you're invited to that uh, as well um, if you're visiting. Okay, before we transition to uh, worship, uh, Joe Provenzano and Brian Boffman have a presentation for us. ask uh, our two graduates, so this is about graduation. So today we want to recognize our high school students and our college students that are graduating. Um, our college students, many of them obviously moving on to other things, um, other places, so we want to hear from them what they're doing. Um, and for us, for my group, the, the high school, we have two graduates. I'm going to ask Luke and Christian just to come up for a minute so you can see their face. Um, I'm just going to share a little bit about what they're doing, then we're going to pray for them. Um, and they've, they've each picked out a book already um, from Pastor as a Gift. Um, so, and I think, Christian, you picked Growing Up, and Luke picked a, a devotional. Um, but just, just real quick, these are our two graduates for this year. Christian is graduating from BJ Academy and attending BJ in the fall and going to work on a communications degree. And Luke is graduating. We, we homeschooled, um, but, so we homeschooled all the way through. And he's going to be attending Bob Jones and working on a business degree. And he's also playing uh, with the Bruins. So he's excited about that. So we'll have, we'll have two guys out there running around. Um, but let's, let's go ahead and pray with them. And then once, once we've, we've finished praying with them, I would like to invite the college kids to just go ahead and come on up while Brian has a few words uh, while you guys are moving up here. But let's, let's go ahead and pray. 
Lord Father, we thank you for your son, Jesus Christ. We thank you, Lord, that uh, before the foundation of the earth, you had a plan for each of us. Uh, Lord, none of us is a surprise to you, no matter what, uh, where we come from, what our family situation is, uh, what our history is. Uh, Lord, you knew and you had a plan for us. And uh, even to be here today, uh, for these two young men graduating, you have a plan and a purpose in it. And you love them and you love them so much that you sent Jesus Christ to die for them. Lord, I pray that you would bless them, that you'd protect them from evil, that you'd guard their hearts from sin and, and all the things in this world that would attempt to choke them and to strangle them and, and uh, to, to hurt and ruin them. Lord, I pray that you'd protect them. Lord, I pray that you'd work in their hearts, that they would have a sincere desire to know you, uh, to love you, to live for you. Uh, Lord, even as Paul prayed uh, and said in Philippians that you would cause them to will and to do that which pleases you. Lord, Father, that you would help them to walk in paths of righteousness. I pray that you'd bless them with their studies next year. Uh, Lord, that they would uh, have clear direction and, and be able to apply themselves. And, Lord, that they would grow and learn and be challenged um, and then have, Lord, a life to live and serve you. Uh, Lord, Father, and even someday maybe even to raise their own families to love you and to serve you. And we thank you for them. We pray for your blessing upon their lives, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, I'd, I'd like to invite the college kids to come up. Don't, don't be bashful. I'm, I'm not a college kid, but this is good. Um, we have, oh, good, John's here. Great. I want to tell you, we have a fantastic college group. And as you know, they are often in here. A lot of them are in overflow every week and uh, sacrifice to give you the room to, to be here. And I'm thrilled to just introduce um, this group. They'll introduce themselves, actually. Tell us um, what your degree is in and what your plans for are for the future, where the Lord's taking you next, and then um, we'll pray. So this is a great group, and uh, you've got to know many of them because some, several of them have been here three and four years and have had opportunity to be in your home, and you know them well. So, um, guys, let's start with John. Yeah, please. <laughs> uh, hi, my name is John Harris. Um, I'm graduating with a degree in uh, film and digital storytelling and a minor in biblical counseling. Um, right now, I'm just looking for a job, but uh, probably will be in the area. Hey guys, I'm <clears throat> I'm James Najimy. I am graduating with a degree in engineering, and I will be going back home to work for the Massachusetts Department of Transportation as a civil engineer. Hi, I'm Victor Labelle, and uh, I'm graduating with a degree in history, and I'll be going back home to look for a job. Hello, I'm Raquel. I'm finishing up a degree in um, biblical studies. I am planning on heading out for around two months, getting married, and then, Lord willing, coming back here uh, for about a year. Sean um, still has a year of school at Bob Jones, and so I'm planning on being an English GA and taking extra classes in special ed and teaching English. Hi, my name is uh, Tyler Blackwell. Uh, I'm graduating with an English education degree, and I'm going to be going up to Pennsylvania to teach uh, high school uh, English up there. So. Hi, my name is Andrew Barr. I will be graduating with a music education degree. 
Um, in July, I'm marrying Molly Jorgensen. And then in the fall, I will be starting my master's degree in choral conducting and vocal pedagogy at East Carolina University. Good morning. My name is Rachel Holbert, and I'm graduating with my degree in nursing. And I will just be going back home to study and take my licensure exam, and then um, hopefully start a job in the late summer. So thank you. My name is Lauren, and I'm also graduating with a degree in nursing. In the summer, I'm going up to the wilds of New England to work as both a camp nurse and counselor there, and then moving back to Michigan um, and pursuing ER nursing, hopefully. Um, but I'd like to probably just speak for all of us and just thank you as a church body, as a college group, um, just for being so welcoming to me and to everyone else here. You guys have truly shown us what a church family looks like and have poured into us, and we really appreciate that, and I know for many of us, this will be a highlight um, that we will move forward with and hopefully implement into whatever local body that we end up in. Thank you. My name is Lydia Flynn. I'm graduating with a degree in chemistry, and then I'll be working this summer and doing a missions trip, and then in the fall, I'll be going to South Africa for about three months and living there with a the missionary family. Very good. Thank you all. Um, to this group, we would add Megan Flower. Um, who is not here today, but she'll be graduating with her degree. And Nick Johnson um, also has, he finished in December, but he'll be walking and finished up officially. So quite a good group, and uh, we're thrilled for the opportunity to, to minister to them and pray for um, our college group in general. Um, this summer, a lot of them are going home, work, jobs, pay for school bill, but there's a lot of ministry happening up, ministry happening this summer. Um, trips to South America, uh, several are going to Africa, a lot are working internships, um, camping opportunities, you know, at the wilds and other camps, uh, just a lot of ministry going on this summer. So we, um, watch your prayer list and we, let's continue to pray for them all summer long. Let's thank the Lord for the good things he's done in their lives. Father, we thank you for the opportunity to serve along with and minister to um, these young people, thank you for the um, your faithfulness to them over these uh, three or four or five years as they've been um, in the trenches and, and doing the work that you've given them to do. Thank you for their focus um, on you as well as their studies and their willingness to serve um, this local body and for the blessing that they have been to all of us. And we're thankful for the path that you are leading them in and um, continue to guide them as they uh, pursue you. And, uh, Lord, we are just thankful for um, and grateful for your work in their lives. In your name we pray. Amen. Congratulations again to our graduates. Uh, thanks also to the Provenzanos and the Boffins for, and, and others who are investing in our college and, and high school ministries. We really appreciate that work and um, know that only time will tell how the Lord will use uh, uh, all, that, all that investment uh, in the lives of these, of these young people. As we uh, transition to worship, I draw your attention to Psalm 118, verse 1. 
which tells us, Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. And as Ed comes to lead us in our first song, I invite you to dwell on God's steadfast uh, love for us. Let me invite you to stand, please. We'll sing together, To God be the glory, great things he has done.
that we can give God the glory is because of the blessed assurance that we have through Jesus Christ. The same blessed assurance Jesus has made. Scripture reading this morning is 2 Corinthians 4 and 5. On the surface, the book of 2 Corinthians is a very practical uh, letter. It's written by Paul to the church at Corinth uh, to explain to them why it is that he had to change his plans regarding the visit that he had promised to them. But um, Paul never wasted an opportunity to evangelize or to edify the saints or to declare the glory of God. And so he takes the opportunity of this very practical explanation of a change in itinerary um, to give to the church at Corinth really um, a remarkable treatise on what it means to minister for God in the New Covenant. And it becomes a very challenging statement of what that means for anyone who's involved in full-time ministry, uh, but also a very challenging Um, series of exhortations for anyone who tries to be a faithful follower of Christ. Challenging, but also at the same time, very encouraging regarding the rewards that are in store for those who follow faithfully. So chapter 4, therefore having this ministry by the mercy of God, we do not lose heart, but we have renounced disgraceful underhanded ways. We refuse to practice cunning or to tamper with God's word. But by the open statement of the truth, we would commend ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. 
And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. For what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, with ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God, who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God, not to us. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed, perplexed, but not driven to despair, persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed, always carrying in the body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. For we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our mortal flesh. So death is at work in us, but life in you. Since we have this same spirit of faith, according to what has been written, I believed and so I spoke. We also believe, so also we speak. Knowing that he who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also with Jesus and bring us with you, into his presence. For it is all for your sake, so that as grace extends to more and more people, it may increase thanksgiving to the glory of God. So we do not lose heart, though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison, as we look not to the things which are seen, but to the things that are unseen, for the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. For we know that if the tent that is our earthly home is destroyed, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. For in this tent we groan, longing to put on our heavenly dwelling, if indeed by putting it on we may not be found naked. For while we are still in this tent, we groan, being burdened, not that we would be unclothed, but that we would be further clothed, so that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. He who has prepared us for this very thing is God, who has given us the Spirit as a guarantee. So we are always of good courage. We know that while we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord, for we walk by faith, not by sight. Yes, we are of good courage, and we would rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord. So whether we are at home or away, we make it our aim to please Him. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. Therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade others. But what we are is known to God. And I know it is known also to your conscience. We are not commending ourselves to you again, but giving you cause to boast about us, so that you may be able to answer those who boast about outward appearance and not about what is in the heart. For if we are beside ourselves, it is for God. If we are in our right mind, it is for you. For the love of Christ controls us, because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all, has died. all have died. And he died for all, that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him 
who for their sake died and was raised. From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Let me invite you to stand once again. We'll be reading it's our congregational scripture reading, 2 Timothy 1, starting in verse 8. Let's read together. Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, but share his suffering, the gospel, and power of God, who saved us and who called us to a holy calling, not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace which he gave us Christ Jesus before the ages began, and which now manifests through the appearing of Christ Jesus Christ, who abolished death and brought life and mortality to light through the gospel, for which I was appointed a preacher, an apostle, and teacher, which is why I suffer as I do. But I am not ashamed of the, for I know whom I have believed, and I am convinced that he is able to guard until that day what has been entrusted to me. For the pattern, the sound words that you have heard from me, and in the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus, by the Holy Spirit who dwells within us, guard the good gods entrusted to you. Let's sing together, I know whom I have believed.
Thank you. You may be seated. Okay, in just a minute, uh, Jonathan Bishop will, will come and share God's word with us, and uh, many of us are familiar with Jonathan, for the, for the sake of our visitors. Uh, Jonathan and his family are missionaries to the Middle East, and they spent some time there before uh, coming back, and in the process of, of determining now what the Lord has next for them, Jonathan returned recently from a survey trip, and if you were here on Wednesday, uh, you, you heard his report of that trip and, and what God uh, did uh, there, uh, but we're really thankful that he's with us today to open God's uh, word for us. And before he comes, uh, let's pray together. Our Father in heaven, we praise you this morning for uh, your love, your steadfast love, and your holiness. Uh, you so love the world that you gave uh, your only son, that whoever believes in him uh, should not perish but have eternal life. Uh, we praise you for that salvation through Jesus who bore our sins in his body on the cross and who rose again uh, from the dead. And we thank you now that as your children we can cast our cares upon you uh, because we know uh, you care for us. Uh, we uh, have many uh, troubles in this world. We have many cares. Um, some of us, some among us are, are facing cancer, uh, either in our own bodies or uh, in the bodies of those we love. And we ask for your, your healing and your grace for each one uh, in that uh, circumstance. We also remember our sister, Connie uh, Breidner, that you would grant her strength and healing. Uh, and we thank you for her um, continued fellowship with us, even though she's not able to attend here uh, uh, in person. Uh, we thank you also that Brother Bill Bump's uh, surgery uh, went well. And we pray that you grant him uh, further healing and support for for him and, and for his wife, Connie. Uh, Lord, we thank you already this morning for those who served us, leading in music and focusing your, our attention on your word. Again, we thank you for Brother Jonathan and his family and uh, pray your continued hand on them uh, that we share together and, and, and the blessing of, of seeing you direct his steps and guide him and his family into the ministry you have for them. Uh, that you would use uh, the desire you've uh, planted in him to, to share your word boldly and uh, to see uh, um, many come to Christ, uh, especially those who are bound in, in Islam. Lord, as a church, we pray that you'd prosper this body. Uh, we see in the book of Acts that when the church received the power of the Holy Spirit, your people preached the gospel boldly, and you added to the church those who were being saved. And we're praying that you'll add to Gateway, uh, people from this community, uh, according to your will. Lord, we ask for wisdom and, and the care of, of this facility as we consider um, not long from now uh, tearing down the building next door, uh, which is really just in, in preparation for uh, building a, a new uh, auditorium there that can accommodate us all in, in one space. Uh, we ask you that you give us wisdom in that effort, but that you don't allow us to be content uh, to stay within these walls, uh, that you'd help us to speak for you wherever uh, you placed us. Uh, we pray that you do that for our, our college students who are going out now into different roles and, and careers and uh, many different avenues uh, and different summer ministries as well, that you'd give them a boldness and bless uh, their influence, help them to, 
bring your word to bear or wherever you, you place them. Again, as Jonathan comes to preach, we pray that you'd give him the freedom and to, to, to speak uh, clearly, that you'd help us to be receptive to your word. And as Jesus taught his disciples to pray, uh, we pray, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Pray that you'd give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, uh, but deliver us uh, from evil. And we pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. The orchestra, thankfully, recognized that it was time for them to step down. (laughs) The risk of not doing this very often. Uh, Also, if you have uh, a young child that you would think would benefit from their own time, Uh, There's a children's church available down the hall that you're welcome to dismiss uh, to that at this time. Thank you. Thank you for praying for me, Brother Mike. And uh, the rest of you, I know some, uh, some others have said, hey, I was praying for you, and I appreciate that. It's an awesome thing to open the word of God and, uh, and a holy thing to make sure that we are, we are looking at God's ideas and uh, not mine. In Luke chapter 13 and verse 18, the Lord Jesus asks, asks a very insightful question. In fact, he asks it uh, two times in two different ways. He said, what is the kingdom of God like? And to what shall I compare it? You know, when we're trying to describe a concept that is very difficult, unfamiliar to the person we're speaking to, the way we usually try to get it across is by comparing it to something more familiar. For instance, you might say, man, that lake was three football fields long, right? Or it was as tall as a 10-story building, right? Uh, we compare something unfamiliar to something familiar to help us get a, get a sense of it. And so the Lord Jesus seems to be asking himself here, but, but publicly, and the Lord records this for our instruction, what can I compare the kingdom of God to so that we could understand it? And there, there's a really powerful lesson there. For one, that these great spiritual realities are not something we're just going to easily just grasp. Oh, yeah, I got that. Makes sense. Stuff we can't see. It's stuff that's, that's quite a challenge. In fact, Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians chapter 2 that apart from the Spirit of God taking these realities from God and, and working it into our spirit as a, as a believer, we're not going to get it. And uh, if you're here today, you've never had that that time in your life where you have trusted Jesus Christ to forgive your sins and give you a completely new nature. That's not he helps you get better or he kind of reforms you. It's like you finally realize I am so bad. There is nothing good left. The, 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 the good that God made me is totally corrupted. I need it replaced with something new. And that's what the Spirit of God does. That's called the new birth. It makes you a new child, new person with a new spirit inside you that the Holy Spirit of God can come and live in. And if you haven't come to that point of becoming a new creation, as it says in 2 Corinthians, then I urge you to do it now. Or if you're like, I don't know what that means, please come and talk to me or talk to somebody here because the glorious things of God cannot be naturally 
discern. It's, it's something supernatural that the Spirit of God does. One further thought before we leave this verse, he says, uh, to what shall I compare the kingdom of God? You know, this is a powerful lesson, just that he would ask this question. And the answer is, in the book of Luke alone, the Lord Jesus used no less than 19 similes. That means it's like this, or it's as that. He used 45 metaphors. That's why you say this is, you know, like that cloud is really a castle or something. You use another way of describing it. 21 analogies, 9 object lessons, and my favorite, 17 stories. You say, why are you bringing that up? Well, for three reasons. Number one, many of you have the opportunity, either as parents or ministers, to teach and to instruct. And if you're going to learn from the master teacher, our Lord Jesus Christ, learn this, that he uses very tangible physical pictures and stories to help us learn. And it's a wonderful technique that we all all can benefit from. Uh, He taught stories that were both true stories and at times he used fiction stories. Sometimes the fiction stories, you'd say, well, that could never happen, like a king uh, burning up somebody for not showing up in the right outfit. And, uh, but he's making a point that connects to reality, that it really is a reality that actually matches the absurdity of that situation, if you will. And uh, the second reason I'm bringing this up is that it connects to a, a prayer request that I just want to ask you as a fellow church member, a brother in Christ, of how you can pray for me. That's not a prayer request I get to share all the time, and it's an ongoing prayer request. It's not something that I'm always going to have a new update about every day. Uh, But that is that in addition to the ministry of preaching from a pulpit uh, to a live audience, the Lord has also given me a ministry of preaching through uh, the use of writing, which is such a joy. I dreamed about being a writer when I was a young person, and then I really set it aside for a while because I felt like God was calling me to minister his word, to grow in him, so I gave up fiction. But after seminary, the Lord put it back in my hand, and he said, I want you to use this uh, to glorify me. And so I've written a book uh, called Anger of the King. Some of you have read it. It's an allegory, and the whole intent is, is really one, one more answer to this question. How can we compare these glorious things in the gospel to something that would help us go, oh, I get it. That's what that looks like. And so this is just a story about a 12-year-old boy and a war. Uh, There's a dragon. There's a lot of exciting things going on. Uh, He's looking for a father figure. He thinks he can save his city by himself and finally realizes he needs a savior a lot bigger than he is. But the, the wonder of it is that so many young people and older people have said to me, I saw myself in that story, or the Bible just came alive to me in a new way, and, and I'm so rejoicing. That's God's grace that it's like, yes, that's the point. Um, I was afraid all the kids would be like, oh, I love that really funny part, and I'm like, well, great. I'm glad you loved it, but you know, that's not the point, uh, but I've been surprised how many young people have, have said, oh, I really saw something about the Bible, and so I've made it available for you today at a, at a special discount. And it's out there on the table, and I've got a number of copies there. I want to praise God for one thing, that, that today marks the fourth anniversary of publishing it. And he has been so good that right at this time, I'm only about 10 copies short of reaching the 2,000 mark of, of being able to distribute 2,000 copies, which is a pretty big milestone. And that's just 
that's God's grace. But I am longing for the message of the gospel and the wow of Christ to reach a whole lot more people. And I would just ask you to join me in praying, number one, that this book would go a lot further, that the Lord would keep spreading it, it would reach a lot more people. I think there are a lot of families that would say, oh, I'm so glad we found it, but they just don't know about it. And so pray that it would run and, and be multiplied and, and also that the Holy Spirit would illumine people to see Jesus Christ in it. It doesn't matter if they read it and they're like, yeah, what a nice story. I don't have time to waste on that. Um, may they see Jesus Christ in it. And so pray for that, would you? And with that, please pray for me as I'm writing the sequel to that, which will probably be even a longer novel. And uh, this time I'm really focused on capturing what does sanctification look like? Like, it's so big, it's so mysterious. How do I, how does that play out in real life? What does it mean that we abide in Christ or I am in Christ and he is in me? What's the difference? How does that work? What is the Holy Spirit doing? I think we live so short of a real grasp of what it means that the Spirit of Jesus Christ is with us. Like, God is right here in this room. And so Jesus says, I've not left you as orphans. I will come to you. I think we live kind of like orphans too often. And then one last thing is I'm also writing a nonfiction book that I would like you to pray for, which connects to the message that we're going to look at today. It's a shorter book, Lord willing, of nine uh, different messages about prayer. And each one uh, begins with a little bit of a story element uh, taking a scene from a real person really struggling with prayer in the Bible, like Abraham, like Moses, like Hannah, like our Lord Jesus himself, and allowing us to enter into that experience and get, get some of the feel of that and then, and then uncover and discover what the Word is saying to us about how that impacts our prayer life. And uh, if for nobody else, this, this, these, these stories I'm sharing have impacted me. And almost every time I come to have a really significant prayer time, when I'm thinking about those stories and those people, it impacts me almost every single time I come back to those stories. And I believe it can do that for many others as well. Uh, but please pray that God would give me success in making it a reality, uh, finishing it, putting it all together. And then the third reason that I'm bringing this up about Christ's teaching through stories is that the text that we're going to look at today, Exodus chapter 17, verses 8 to the end of the chapter, is an example. It's a story. This is a real story, a real account of something that actually happened in history, and yet even though we're going to talk about prayer in connection with this story, you're not going to find the word prayer in this chapter. But what you will see are two just incredible principles that come through in very bold colors that when you put those two together, it's going to answer a key question we need to ask ourselves about prayer. And it will give us a very tangible picture I think many of us are picture-oriented, and, and when you come to pray, just having a very concrete sense of what am I doing as I'm praying for somebody else, I think this can be wonderfully valuable to all of us. So, let's set it up as we get ready to read this text with a key question, and that is, how much are you convinced that the Lord uses your prayers to impact somebody else. I've got my sign-up sheets out there 
again, uh, you probably get tired of me saying that, but uh, if you don't already get our prayer letters, I send a monthly prayer letter for our family and one every week about how to pray for Yemen and the people there, uh, 99% Muslim, and uh, for the church. And you say, Jonathan, you're always saying that. Why? Well, I'm, I think the Lord really answers prayer. Now, if I asked you, do you believe God answers prayer? Duh. Like everybody would say, yeah, of course we believe God answers prayer, right? But like how much? So he, he can bless you when you ask, right? And it's a nice spiritual exercise we go through. But like how convinced are you of, of, the, of the actual factual impact out there because of you asking God for somebody? For instance, if you pray for a missionary in Peru, do you believe God might actually spare that guy from a danger he might otherwise have fallen into because you asked about that? Do you think that for real, a Yemeni guy can walk up to you a thousand years from now in heaven and shake your hand and say, hey, you don't know me. And he starts crying and you're like, come on, help me out. And he says, well, my name is Ahmed, but Jesus told me that the only reason I'm here is you prayed for me. You think that can happen? Maybe not the only reason, but he says, I'm here because you prayed for me. Thank you. Do you believe that when you ask God to bless somebody like a missionary's walk with God, that it actually impacts his personal devotions, his relationship with his wife and his kids? What about Pastor Greg? God has given us like a great man of God is our pastor. But you've got to know he's got a target all over him because the enemy hates pastors. And if he can knock him down, it, it hurts all of us big time. Do you pray for Pastor Greg regularly? Do you have a, a plan of how you do that? Is that important to you? Do you believe that, that your prayer for Pastor Greg can actually impact the, the level of, of effectiveness of his Sunday message for the whole church? Or it can impact his, his family, his kids, his wife, his relationship with God, how much wisdom he has in dealing with counseling situations and hard stuff that he's facing? What about praying for your children or for your spouse or for your mom and dad? or for unsaved people. Does this like really, really work on that level? Are you convinced? I believe Paul was convinced. He wrote to the Corinthians, and he said, listen, there was a time that we were so down and beat up, probably outside and inside. He says, we were depressed. We were pretty sure it was over. He says, but God helped us, and you also helped us by prayer. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 11. That kind of help, when he says, you helped us, is not the, hey, can you help me carry the chairs? It's the help like when you're drowning and you, and you say, help! And if somebody helps you, it means they save your life. And that's what Paul says. You helped me by praying for me. That's why he says all the time to like every church he wrote to, I never stop praying for you. And here's what I'm praying for. I'm praying for this and this and this. And Timothy, I have not stopped praying for you. And Thessalonian believers, I have not stopped praying for you night and day. And, and then he asks these, these believers that when you read what, what's going on in their church, you realize they were not like 
<laughs> the epitome of like godly saints. They were struggling like you and me. And Paul says, I need you. Please, you guys, pray for us. Please pray for us. He asked the Ephesians, he asked the Colossians, he asked the Thessalonians, pray for us. So I'm pretty sure he was really convinced that when they would ask, God would answer. James says it emphatically, the effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man accomplishes a lot. It's effective. It works. And John, 1 John chapter 5 says, when you see a brother struggling and sinning, pray for him. Why? Because the Lord is going to say yes, and he's going to help that brother because you asked for him. So the, the message of the Bible is very clear, and probably all of us could agree, yeah, okay, yeah, we're supposed to pray for each other. It's supposed to work somehow or another. What does that look like, though? How do we form some kind of like picture in our mind of, of, of how that kind of operation takes place? Well, God has given us this awesome story in, in Exodus, Exodus chapter 17, the second half of an event that really shows two powerful principles and how those two things tie together that just makes it make a lot more sense that praying does impact other people's spiritual life. And so let's read it now. With, I, hope, I hope you have a whole lot of expectation now and excitement to read these verses. This is right after the Exodus. The children of Israel have escaped from Egypt. God has brought them out. He washed away all the Egyptians. Everything should be great, except they're already complaining and they're having troubles. God's taking care of them. And before they can even get their breath, more trouble. Verse 8. Then... Amalek came and fought with Israel at Rephidim. In Deuteronomy, the Lord explains that the Amalekites came up behind the people of Israel. They were attacking the weak and the, and the poor and the elderly people who were in the very back that could not defend themselves. So Moses said to Joshua, choose for us men and go out and fight with Amalek. Tomorrow... I will stand on the top of the hill with the staff of God in my hand. So Joshua did as Moses told him. I wonder if he, if he asked Moses what he meant. He was going to stand there with the staff in his hand. It doesn't say. It just says he obeyed. It's no wonder he was picked, right? So Joshua did as Moses told him and fought with Amalek while Moses, Aaron, and Hur went up to the top of the hill. Whenever Moses held up his hand, Israel prevailed. And whenever he lowered his hand, Amalek prevailed. But Moses' hands grew weary, so they took a stone and put it under him, and he sat on it while Aaron and Hur held up his hands, one on one side and the other on the other side. So his hands were steady until the going down of the sun, and Joshua overwhelmed Amalek and his people with the sword. Then the Lord said to Moses, write this as a memorial in a book and recite it in the ears of Joshua that I will utterly blot out the memory of Amalek from under heaven. And Moses built an altar and called the name of it, the Lord is my banner, saying, a hand upon the throne of the Lord. The Lord will have war with Amalek from generation to generation. 
Notice, first of all, that the context of this story is war. Starts right at the beginning. Amalek fought. Then the last verse, the Lord will have war. Guys, in a novel, when we're sitting in our comfortable couch by the fire reading, war is kind of a cool thing. I mean, it's kind of exciting. It gets your blood up. But in real life, war is very ugly. It's, it's just stomach-turning. Right now, there are people in Yemen who know intimately, painfully, all about the realities of war. Try to imagine a, a very hungry family eating their one meal of the day, and an airplane flies by in the distance, and, and their whole body just responds with panic to the sound of an airplane. Imagine a, a, a teenager, a boy out there on the battlefield, and his job is to drag off the dead bodies of these guys that have just been killed. And he's doing that, and he looks down and he realizes, that's my uncle. Guys, it's gruesome. It's, it's horrible. And, and there's a whole lot of stuff out there. You can find out how bad war is. It was like that for Moses. I mean, we just read it. It's like, oh, yeah, what a nice, nice story. Moses is feeling the weight of two million people that have put their trust in God through him to take care of them. And now some of them are dying. And he's responsible for this. And maybe he's thinking of faces of people he knows who are vulnerable. And he's wondering, are they alive? Here I'm sending my, my friend Joshua down in there. And, and, and my guys are bricklayers and farmers. And the Amalekites are trained warriors and blood, bloodthroats. I mean, those guys are brutal. What am I doing it was, it was painful. And it's helpful for us to notice this context because the fact is, even though we don't experience what they're doing, dealing with in Yemen, our context of what we're talking about when we're talking about praying for each other is a context of war as well, spiritual war. The Lord says, finally, stay strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Put on the whole armor of God, for we are not wrestling against flesh and blood but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. That's war. And I'm confident if I say he walked away from God or she just totally rejected the Lord, that faces probably come to your mind. That's a casualty of war. If I say that church just disintegrated, Maybe, a, maybe specific people, specific places, specific churches come to your mind. When we talk about a man of God, a pastor who fell, who crashed, probably you can think of names of, of people that you know of or know personally. And it's sobering. We are at war. And so this is not just, well, I wonder academically, is that true that prayer really works? No, I mean, this is, this is real stuff that, that we need to know and come to grips with uh, because we are, in fact, at war. Now, you can sit down in the middle of a war field with bullets going around you and, and play video games if you care to, but that just doesn't even make sense. And the reality is we are at spiritual warfare, and we do need to know what do we do? Is there a way to get victory? And praise God, this chapter ends in victory. So I have good news for you. And it's two key principles that help us know how we can get victory. 
just like God gave them the victory. And here's principle number one. Faith is the victory. Faith is the victory. See, what Moses did in this chapter does not make a lot of sense to the natural human mind, right? If You know, I mean, it typically a brave military commander, a chief, a ruler of people doesn't rescue people by going up and holding a stick over his head for a day, right? It's not what we do. And it doesn't make human sense. What was Moses doing? Why did he have a rod over his head for an entire day up on a hill? How does that help anything? Well, notice he says, I'm taking the staff of God in my hand. See, that staff is the staff that God told him to take with him when he sent him into Egypt. God said, Moses, I am going to rescue my people. They are my people. I am broken. I am hearing them cry out to me, and I am going to rescue them. And so you go rescue them, Moses, and you take this staff in your hand with which you will do the signs. In other words, that staff represented that Moses was not going in there on his own and doing his own thing. He was counting on God to do whatever miracles it took to make that happen. And did God come through on that? Oh, yeah, like he totally defeated the world's superpower, Egypt, right? Wiped them out at one shot in the Red Sea. And what was Moses doing as he followed the Lord? And as he just trusted what God was telling him, he held out that staff over the Red Sea. And the sea, not a river, the sea split open, dry, and they walked across. Why? Well, it wasn't a magic stick. It was because Moses was trusting God sent me. And he told me, bring this staff. And God said, he's going to do whatever miracles it takes for me to do what he's called me to do. And God is going to rescue these people. He's passionate about it and he's going to accomplish it. Now, in this story, we don't have anything like what we have in Exodus 14, where the Lord says, hold that rod out. Or like in other places where he says, take that rod and hit the, hit the rock. We're not sure. Maybe the Lord told Moses to do this. Maybe Moses was just doing it on his own initiative. At any rate, when he's up there and he's got that rod and he's holding it as high as he can over his head, it's very obvious, if you think about it, what he means by that. He means, God, we need you. We can't do this. You said miracles, remember? Signs, like you are going to come through for us. I don't have anything. I can't do this. I can't beat them. God, come on, God, we need you, right? That's what that means when he's holding that rod over his hand. And you say, well, did it make a difference? Did it make a difference? Look what it says. Rod went up, Joshua started winning. Rod comes down, Joshua starts losing. You say, man, that's not fair. Those guys are fighting their hearts out, you know, doing everything they can for the, for, for, with all their might and power trying to win the victory down there. Well, you know what really matters? It's whether God does it. It's not how strong you are or how mighty you are or how great and wise you think you are. The battle is won by God. That's what it means, faith is the victory. It doesn't mean, well, how strong is your faith? What it means is that it's God who does it. And what faith is, is really just our little hand reaching up there to take what God's huge hand of grace is reaching down to give us. 
See, God is ready to give us a spiritual victory. He's ready to do all kinds of stuff. He's ready to bless us. That's what he did when he saved our souls. When we were dead, we could not be forgiven or have life or anything. And God says, I will do all of it. It's through Jesus. Here, I'm reaching out to you with grace. Come unto me, all you that labor and are heavy laden. I will give you rest. And what's faith? Faith is just this. Saying, really? You'll, you'll really do that? Okay, thank you. That's it. That's, that's what faith is. It's just we just take what God is giving us. And uh, you say, well, how do we do that? Where's my broom handle? Well, no, you don't have to use a stick. The way the Lord has, has designated for us to express that we're trusting God and taking something from God is just to ask, right? Jesus said, ask, and you shall receive, right? God's going to give it to you, so you just ask for it. And you keep asking, you keep coming back, and you keep receiving more grace. He says his throne is a throne of grace. That's like he's going to give mercy and grace. So what do we do? Come boldly to the throne of grace that you may obtain mercy. You can obtain grace, everything, all the good stuff that God's wanting to give us. We, we just come and we take it. We receive it. It's a gift from God that we can take as we believe him and then act on that. And uh, that's what Jesus said right before he, he finished his mission and on the cross. The day before, as he's giving his disciples like the most important things. He says, listen, if you believe in me, the works that I'm doing, like I'm sent on this mission from God, rescue the world, the works I'm doing to accomplish that, he says, you will do that too. And greater works, because I'm going to the Father and I'm going to be right there at his right hand. I have a blank check in Psalm 2. Ask for the ends of the world, and I'll give it to you. See, I've got this. So he says, whatever you ask in my name, I will do it. Like, that's where the great works of God come from. We ask. And so that really becomes the greatest, most powerful expression of faith. It's not the only one, because if you're only sitting at home all day asking, for grace to, to reach the world, and he gives you the grace, and then you just put it in your pocket, and you don't go reach the world. Well, duh. <laughs> Faith also goes out and acts, and that's what we see with Joshua and these men. They had to go out with real swords and fight real Amalekites down in the valley, but when you see what's the priority, which one makes all the difference, what actually won the battle or, or made the difference of the outcome was, was the staff was just a plain, pure, nothing else added to it. No, no, you know, signals up there of what are the Amalekites doing. Just plain, pure, I'm trusting in God. That's all I got. We're, trust, we're counting on God to work. That's what made the difference, whether the, the battle down there was won or lost. So the first principle of why prayer works is that faith is the victory. Faith reaching up and taking God and what he does. But, you say, well, that's great for me, and I can reach up and get the blessings of God that I need. What about for somebody else? How does it work that Moses does this and it affects Joshua? Well, that's the second principle. It's right here in the text. God's work is teamwork. See, none of these people could have done what they did by themselves. Now, that hurts for Americans, 
You know, we, we, we're man-made, I mean, we're self-made people, right? And you pull yourself up by your bootstraps. And, and if you work hard, you get, you know, good results. Well, the reality is none of us can be a success as a servant of Jesus Christ by ourselves. We need each other. You see it pictured here. The people of Israel were suffering. They couldn't rescue themselves. They needed Joshua and his soldiers to go out there and rescue them. And that's what those guys were doing. Guess what? Joshua and his guys out there sweating, fighting, doing everything they could would have been toast. Except for Moses holding up the staff for them. They needed Moses to do that. And there's Moses doing it. But was he this powerful guy that he made all the difference? Well, it turns out he could not have held that staff up. Couldn't. He just couldn't do it. It was, it was too hard. You should try holding a staff over your head for a day. He needed help. And so there was Aaron and her holding up his hands. And if any one of them had not come through on their job, the whole thing would have been lost. But every one of them did the part that God gave each one of them. And so they all came home singing that night. Because God won the victory. It was teamwork. The Lord compares us as a church to a human body many times. And one thing that's definitely obvious about a human body is that all the parts need each other. Uh, Paul is actually kind of funny when he describes this. He says, you know, the hand uh, can't say to the feet, well, I don't need you, <laughs> you know. Yeah, it kind of does. And the eye can't say, well, I'm more important. I don't need the ear. I mean, how many of you want to lose your ears? You know, like, not me. You know, everything helps it, helps it. It all works together. The whole body is interdependent. You don't just like jettison something. It, it, you know, that's what we're like. You say, well, not me. Oh, yeah. You are a vital part of this body. We can't just have a hand walking off. We need you to stick around to be part of what God is doing. And that applies to this matter of prayer because there's Moses, okay, expressing dependence on God by faith, reaching up and getting grace for God to win this impossible battle. But what he's reaching is not just for himself. It impacted Joshua and the guys down there. Listen, if you're like, man, does it really matter if somebody else prays for me? I want you to imagine yourself in the, the, the spot of one of Joshua's soldiers down there, and you've got bleeding cuts on your body and sweat pouring into your eyes, and it stings, and you're panicking because there are swords flying all around you that you cannot keep up with, and you're trying to battle this Amalekite right in front of you that is determined to actually kill you if he can. And out of the peripheral vision, you notice Moses up there on the, on the top of the mountain, and he just sighs, and down comes that rod. And you're on your back, and you're about this close from death. When out of the corner of your eye, you see that rod come back up, and all of a sudden, you're filled with new energy from God, and, uh, and you win the battle. I think you'd be a believer, wouldn't you? That it works, that, what, that when God does something, it makes a difference. That's the sense that we get here. And that's the picture you can think. It's not always that immediate, perhaps. But the Lord's giving us something very tangible, something very obvious to help you know that you really do depend 
on other people praying for you. That's why James says, confess your faults one to another. Pray for one another that you may be healed. The effectual, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much, not just for himself. It says he avails much for the guy that was willing to say, hey, pray for me, help me out here. And it's okay to say that. That's what Paul said. He said, I was depressed. I was about a goner. And you guys help me by praying for me. So please pray for me. And then we need to really pray for each other. I'd like to conclude with four uh, very, very specific applications. There's a lot more that we could focus on. You might want to jot these down to pray over later. Uh, but four very, just very tangible ways that you could say, yeah, you know, if that's true, if that's true, that my prayers for somebody else actually make that level of difference, then number one, use prayer letters. What I mean is use them when you get a, a, a missionary's prayer letter. And if you don't get them, go out and find them, get them. And pray for those specific things that that missionary says in his prayer letter. Why? Well, that guy's out there on the front lines fighting the spiritual battle to build the kingdom of God. And he's got sword thrusts coming at him. And so when you read those specific things and you pray for those specific things, it actually can impact that servant of God who is counting on you, who needs you to pray for him. And it can impact those people. And just like I said earlier, there may be people in heaven someday who come and say, you prayed for me. You didn't realize it, but thank you. You made all the difference in my life. So that's number one. Number two, don't minimize or don't skip uh, church prayer meeting, like our Wednesday prayer meeting. It might be easy just kind of to blow it, all, blow it off, think, well, you know, that's for old people, or that's for people who can't do any other great service in the church, you know, but I've, I'm, you know, contributing to something else much more significant than that. And on the other hand, don't think, well, I'm not qualified enough. I mean, that's for like super saints. Maybe someday when I'm 80 and I'm really godly, I, then I can go uh, to the prayer meeting, except then I won't be able to drive after dark. But... I mean, we, we would get ourselves in so much trouble just minimizing this. But if you think about it, that prayer meeting is like the powerhouse of our church. I mean, it's vital. You'd be like, well, you know, holding up the rod on top of the mountain, who cares about that? Like, that is where the battle is won. And, it, and now if we just come and we kind of just go through the motions, maybe it's not that effective. But if we really come intent on, I've got to get grace from God for this church so that these families stay together and these kids succeed and win the spiritual battles they're facing and our pastor is filled with the power of God and souls in this community are saved, man, it could really do something. There was a pastor in Canada who told his church many times, listen, if you have to, you can miss Sunday morning. If you have to, you can miss Sunday night. But he said, don't you miss Wednesday night unless you're dead. Maybe he was exaggerating slightly. I would say possibly if you have bubonic plague and your mom died in the same day and your children have smallpox, maybe then you could also skip the service. <laughs> Seriously, though, you can't be like, well, let the guys fight it out on the battle. I can't hold up the rod today. Somebody is counting on you. You, we're a body. We all need to be 100% involved in real prayer, real holding up the rod. Number three, uh, schedule a time for holding up the rod. Hold, schedule an intercession time into your schedule. 
This is just so practical, but it's just so helpful uh, because I'm sure most of you really, really do have a desire to pray for other people and to make an impact in their lives. And you, and not just that, I know many of you do, and I owe much of my spiritual relationship with the Lord to you guys because you have prayed for us so much, and, and thank you. But, uh, but it can be hard for all of us uh, to carry out praying on the level we want to. In other words, we'll be like, yeah, man, I'm going to pray. And then, you know, you put that right there in your mind, like, this is big, and then, bump, here comes, you know, car problem, and then, bump, here comes, oh, this thing with the kids, and then, bump, exams, and bump, this, and, and then, whoops, prayer just fell right off the back, you know, because all these new things come in, and that just happens to all of us, unless we have it scheduled, we have an appointment, and you say, well, uh, you know, I'm sorry you wanted to get together for breakfast, but every day from 8 o'clock to 9 o'clock, that is my chunk of time that I already have an appointment at that time. That's my time that I get with God, alone with Him, or whatever. You know, you have to find the time, that chunk that works for you, but schedule it. Do it on purpose. And maybe that's the thing uh, you need to go home and do today. You say, I'm going to mark it off, and, you know, it is there, and it cannot be moved. And, and then the nice thing is when you know it's there and something has to move it, you can't adjust it. And you can be like, oh, well, I know my prayer time is getting bumped. I got to find another spot for it and, you know, readjust it for that day. And then number four, as I've already mentioned, pray for pastor. If you don't have a set day or a set way, something set, uh, it probably just won't happen if you're like me <laughs> because so many other great things come along. And uh, make a plan to really cover our pastor in prayer. God to keep him and grow him and strengthen him. And of course, you can apply that beyond just pastor to as we get elders and we can pray for our deacons and you can pray for your Sunday school teacher and you can pray for your kids. I mean, your kids are fighting real battles, real hard battles, and they need you to hold up that rod, that staff for them. In conclusion, here's some, here's some encouragement. At the end, the Lord says, Moses, write this down. Write it down. Put it in a book. Make sure Joshua doesn't forget this. Why? Number one, because sadly, the Amalekites didn't all just go away. <laughs> they came back. Da, 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 and they were back again for like hundreds of years back. And that's the same thing for all of us. The war, uh, unless Jesus returns, is not going to be over until we die. The battles are going to keep being there. The good news is we, we write it down and remember because the, this, this strategy will work every time. Every time you hold up the spiritual rod, every time you go and say, I'm going to get more grace from God, he never runs out. He always has more. He's always ready. And so he says, write it down and remember it, because the Lord is my banner. The Lord is the victory. The victor, the victory, it'll work, and we can win. Would you bow your heads and close?